At The Half, we're learning from each other's stories about how we communicate. What we can do better, how we can encourage authenticity, and how our relationships are affected by the various influences in our lives. These influences include language, education, law, culture, faith, and more. We hope these stories help you reflect and have a conversation of your own. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening to all of our episodes over the last uh, seven interviews that we've... No, six. Six. This yes. being the seventh. Yes. yes. So thank you for uh, tuning in to the last six episodes that we've had. We've had a great sort of series of guests that we've had, and now it's just Daniel and I it's mulling just us. over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what With a mug, mug of tea. Yeah, yeah, what we've learned over the last couple of months, and yeah, just wanting to share our thoughts and your thoughts, and yeah. Yeah, looking forward to getting into it. It's interesting how there's been some overlap sometimes, but then sometimes not some overlap. Yeah, yeah like sometimes just, we're yeah. delving into areas we never yeah. would have expected. <laughs> have been in a few episodes. <laughs> I think um, you look at it on the surface and you've got law, education. Okay, yeah, mm. yeah okay, some similarity Relatively there. Dis- yeah. Relatively dissimilar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like we kept raising the, the eyebrow. Communication can yeah. just be like a raise of an eyebrow mm. that's from... David Coates. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's interesting. As I've been listening and doing some editing, you might have noticed this as well, Maria, that certain quotes might stick mm. in your head or certain certain ideas. Mm, um, definitely. Yeah. Which is interesting because often that might happen with something else that I might listen to, like mm. Krista Tippett on mm. being um, – we're, a bit, yeah. we're both big fans. Yeah. <laughs> not, to, not to put us on the same, no, same plane. No, not at all. No. <laughs> so let's start off with talking about our first episode. So it was a while back. but um, Anna? Yes. Interview with Dr. Anna Arstein Kerslake. Mm. said that correctly. So, yeah, I found this really fascinating. I think the learning experience for me was mostly about language, the language I might use, and I think that that's probably because um, persons with disabilities. I, I don't really know anyone personally in my life, although I think I can still relate to it in the sense of, you know, how we were talking about that people have the right of their decision mm. taken mm. away because mm. of disability, because of a cognitive disability. In some sense, I've found that similar to people that might be, or well, not disabled exactly, but impaired by by sickness. Yes. You know, I often think yeah. of people on, that are in agony um, for some sickness like cancer, mm. let's say, and they they want that decision to be able to end their life, but they they feel like they don't have that that capacity. Yeah, or people that or, are in a coma. Yeah, or are empowered to do that. Yeah, that's interesting because I remember talking about the the best interest paradigm and the will and would you say it's a will and will preference? and preferences? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's tough because you think you, we want the the person to be able to have the freedom of their own choice. Why should that be taken away? You know, for for either you know, either reason, you know, sickness or disability. Um, but I do wonder, what do you think? Like after having studied the subject, mm. the Disability Human Rights Clinic, about the best interest paradigm, is it is it true that that the preference of the individual is always the best thing, or is it possible that sometimes other people do know? In certain cases, there might be a best interest or a best outcome, mm. and that the individual may not always know what that is that's a perfectly good question i think that's the question that comes to the core of a lot of human rights issues especially i suppose in the medical field because really 
it does make sense that everyone should have that equal right to make decisions for themselves. However, I do agree, and having, you know, two siblings of my own who uh, do have cognitive disabilities of varying sorts, that sometimes, you know, just for, mm-hmm. I suppose, realistic practicality, sometimes, you know, best interests, um, the best interest approach, especially like when you're a parent or an older sibling or like someone who's in that sort of care position and that's irrespective of whether, you know, the person that you're caring for has a disability or, you know, there, there's some other impairment in play. Mm. In a practical sort of sense, often the best interests approach is adopted and accepted because it's just a lot easier yeah. in a sense of day-to-day practicality. But the issue is like when you peel it back and you think about like when you sit back and you think about it, and I suppose mm. the, the major difficulty for me when I took Anna's class is that for the major part, like for a lot of the decisions that uh, my younger sibling makes, a lot of it is dictated by best interests because mm. sometimes it's just not appropriate to, you know, go to McDonald's every day <laughs> and <laughs> that sort of thing. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that's irrespective of whether she had a disability or not. Um, you know, there'd often yes. be kids yeah. who, you know, who'd want to have McDonald's every day. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, having that best interest sort of approach, uh, you know, just for, you know, the practicalities of everyday living does make things easier and then the problem, I suppose, to reconcile the two mm. comes when you sit back and you do consider, you know, if we're accepting a human rights model, then as a result you should be mm. seeing seeing and, and enabling the individual to make their own choices. So there is that tension there. And I suppose, you know, listening to Anna in, our, in her interview with us and in taking her class, mm. we should be doing what we can to empower and enable people to be able to communicate and to make the choices for themselves. But sometimes, you know, it is just bloody hard <laughs> to do. Um, yeah. So that's where the tension lies. And I suppose as much as I'd like to say I'm very much for that, you know, that empowerment, mm. and I definitely am, I do acknowledge having experienced it, like, within my family, that yeah. it is hard and, you know, it may not be possible all the time and whether that's right or not mm. is another question. Yeah, because there, yeah, there, there exists that tension mm. and, yeah, <laughs> the day-to-day <laughs> tension. But, yeah, I mean, at least from what, from what I understand, in some of those cases you wouldn't want the, um, the freedom of the individual to make their own decision to win out all of the time. And mm. it's like, let's get rid of the tension and let's go completely because... Yeah, on some of those issues, yeah, it's not it's it's bloody hard, but also you might be a bit right on one of those things. Yeah, and but that's I, I, that's probably not in regard to state of mind or ability or anything like that. It's just I mean, sometimes like a parent might know better than a child, yeah, on, or someone else might know some something better than someone yeah. else on some particular issue. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, the dangerous thing, and that particularly with um, restricting the the right to defend yourself, mm. yeah, in court, but for persons with oh, disabilities. Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Um, to plead. Oh, fitness to plead. Fitness to yeah. plead. That, yeah, especially in, in a high-stakes situation mm. like that when you're worried about your own yeah. position, yeah, to not be able to be heard is really quite scary mm. and we kind of take it for granted sometimes yeah. that, that we can always 
have our voice heard. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they do take it. I think you raise a really interesting point as well about, you know, the parent knowing more than the child and sometimes, you know, and a lot of the time, especially when you're raising <laughs> young children especially, or even like teenagers who are, you know, very combative at times, yeah. that, yeah, just parental authority sometimes has to override it. And I don't think that has to necessarily be uh, like yeah. win out like yeah. oh not sorry not win like, out is yeah. that, like that doesn't go away because of the human rights approach i think the human rights approach would say that you know that's like for a parent to exercise their authority is totally fine hmm. but it the person with the disability or the child with the disability in this case shouldn't be overborne to an extent that's more than a person who would be an able-bodied child would be yeah. in that sort of circumstance but yeah. and a lot of it is about the person's ability to express themselves yeah right? so you could have both yeah in that situation yeah i want to go to maggas no you can't because of yeah. xyz and i think it's like we're working together here. exactly exactly and i think <laughs> you know even in in my household where uh my little sister in particular her vocab her vocabulary can be quite limited she knows what to say when she wants to go to mcdonald's <laughs> that's great and my mom knows exactly what to say to her <laughs> when she does want to go to mcdonald's and that's not a good idea so yeah. i think yeah, yeah. i mean I think just because I don't think they're mutually exclusive is I no, think no, for sure. my conclusion from from the chats that we've had with mm. Anna and with you know the other the other people that we've uh, spoken to. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to use that um, that one that one example, mm. but I mean, yeah, in so many other situations as yeah. well. Um, let's get into another another question or. Yeah, another learning for myself, I think, mm. actually, that watching the way that I talk about things, mm. and not, not to say that someone is dictating how I speak, because that's what I loved about the interview with Anna, the, the way that she helped people to learn about the benefits of ways mm. of speaking. For example, if we take the expression disabled persons, persons mm. with disability, um, you know, I can, I can get into that and I can see why it why? can be better to say that. But even with... Um, with derogatory terms that have become mainstream, you see this with so many, so many words, yeah, yeah, that refer to different groups of people, and sometimes people don't know where they come from because they're just so mainstream. They've just become so yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. And so I love noticing that not not in a kind of haha, I picked up yeah. someone saying that, but even just myself. I mean, I barely yeah. do it anyway, but uh, maybe I did more in the mm. past and. Yeah, it's just nice to do some small thing like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's really interesting, not even particularly from Anna's episode, but from the other uh, interviews that we've had. I mean, with Alif, when we were talking mm. to her about her, you know, faith practice and the way that she kind of teaches the learnings of the Quran, like she definitely emphasised <laughs> that, like how important it was to understand exactly what it was that was written down and how it was yeah. written down and the context in which it was written down and the, how that impacts upon meaning and your interpretation of the message that's being yeah. put across. So I've definitely become cognizant of that like over the last couple of months and it hasn't even been in sort of particular sort of contexts that interact with the areas that we've been yeah. talking about. It's yeah. just been I've been sitting there <laughs> and I've read a word and then something's just come across to me and I've had that sort of light bulb moment where yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, 
this is where it's come from <laughs> yeah. and this is the context of it and th- that's what it means and like this is how it arose so it's been very interesting <laughs> to have those sorts of um yeah little connections mm. that's um, good yeah i hope that that continues you know like, yeah 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 i have too but i don't remember what words <laughs> maybe they're in italian or yeah possibly forget. i think that's always yeah mm. it always is the case when it's italian like well not necessarily italian specifically but mm. just like yeah another yeah, language another yeah. language we yeah. see that evolution uh yeah it's an interesting point about belief as well i was um thinking about yeah how dedicated she is to going and finding mm. out things about about the source material and the quote that we raised with her about mm. knowledge. the seeking yeah. yeah the seeking of knowledge and i suppose we're going we're to talk about this i'm raising it now but yeah. we're only going to get so far because <laughs> i feel like she's the one that can give me the answer uh we'll have to get her back but yeah i wonder what kinds of knowledge i mean i remember she was talking about knowledge from the quran about how to act Mm. You know, what is a good way to act that she was talking about anger and that she sought mm. out the teachings of the prophet mm. and how that helped her to be to be a better Muslim and a better person. Yeah, but I wonder what kind of things she encounters in in the search, let's say, for understanding the context of the, of the Quran mm. um, because sometimes it's hard to understand historical debates. You see yeah. this in Christianity as well. You know, there are all these conflicting opinions from you know, well-read and people and it's definitely the case in islam as well like yeah yeah different sects different you know interpretations of certain historical events and mm. interpretations of texts and all that sort of thing it's definitely really interesting yeah it'd be really interesting to get her sort of take on the breadth of the knowledge that encompasses that whole sort of interpretive context looks mm. like yeah I don't think that she would be the type to just look at one one interpretation no. and not examine it or anything no. like that. Um, yeah, it does. See, I think there are, there are quite a few overlaps, actually, if I think of James's episode mm. um, when he's talking about you know, we hold the beliefs as part of a wide variety or in a network yeah. and that someone can be very um, knowledgeable about something. No, not to say that they're... Oh look, they're so they're so lofty and knowledgeable, but you know, someone that can like earnestly consider something mm. and and research something and come to a certain conclusion, and someone else can do the same thing and come to a different conclusion, and you kind of just go, <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Um, especially if you don't know as much as any of those two people. That's something that I've been really conscious of mm. is that respect for the earnestness and the, and the research and the love of whatever topic yeah. someone might have and how that can be different in, yeah. in regards to the same topic that someone else yeah. has done, whatever research they've done. I think a great thing about all the people that we've spoken to over the last six episodes is that they've all been very humble mm. and that I think they all very openly, whether it was implied or inferred, that they weren't unhappy with being wrong Mm. and the prospect of being challenged or being asked a question that not necessarily undermined their view but challenged their view in some way questions you know what it was Mm. that that made them believe so strongly in their views or in their perspectives that wasn't detrimental to them and I think Mm. that's something that at least in our current day and age at least with you know the current sort of political climate that we have is quite a rare thing. Yeah. Well, rare, rare in the sense that it's not commonly reported 
Yeah, yeah, you don't hear in mainstream yeah. media. Sure. So it's refreshing to see that, like, with people we know, and within mm. our sort of wider network of yeah friends and uh, colleagues and acquaintances, that really people are people are open to having challenging and yeah. thoughtful discussions if they're in the right sort of respectful mm. and safe environment to do yeah. so. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I love that. That's um, that's something that I learned a bit from from Nivi even before we started chatting with her. So I was really glad that she brought up some similar points about having compassion when listening and that yeah, there are some of those techniques that she raised about mm. saying, okay, well, well, why do you think that? Yeah. And it's not... It's not threatening. It's not like, hey, she's got the yeah. answers right, waiting right here. Yeah. She's just, but she's just like, got you yeah. on a string. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. And it's something that I try to do. Mm. And I can be pleasantly surprised. And if I, I think I have noticed over, let's say, the last couple of months, years even, that my beliefs have changed about certain things mm. over time. Mm. Yeah. Have you noticed that at all the past couple of months? Has there been a moment where you've changed your mind about something because of a debate or something? Or I don't know about changing my mind about like something. slightly nudged, something um, like that. I'm sort of notorious for being a, a fence-sitter <laughs> in a lot of ways, so I'm not quite sure if it's changed yeah, my too. mind. But I suppose it's made me very aware of, this is going to sound very, very cheesy, but it's made me aware of the mm. common humanity amongst everyone. Yep. And I suppose we're here like to give people listening a bit of context we're sitting here in one of the rooms in the law school where I study um, recording this episode and this place tends to be quite uh, when we're not focused on academic things sometimes mm -hmm. there can be sort of uh, elements of outrage or polarization mm -hmm. because of certain views expressed about a variety of different issues and sometimes we tend to lose sight of the fact that even though other people can have very, very vastly different views from our own, mm. that they're still people at yep. the end of the day and that they should be afforded, you know, some modicum of respect, like regardless <laughs> of, you know, you don't have of to course. agree with them, you don't have to be best friends with them. And, like, I don't think – I think it, it's become almost a cliche to say that we've become more polarised now than mm. we ever have been before. And I think that's to the point of – you know, making my brain turn to mush. I've heard it so much. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, for sure. you know, whether it's the internet or our generation or a bunch of other things or who's in power at the moment, but we've become so polarised that we almost see the people that are quote-unquote against us or hmm. who have these different views from us from being almost like caricatures of yeah. who they are as people. And I suppose to get back to the point <laughs> uh, of what yeah. you've asked, what these six episodes have taught me is to just afford people respect and kindness when interacting with them on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's probably the one thing that I've taken away most significantly from all of this. Mm. Um, there are people who I know you know, from a bunch of different contexts who are known to be quite, I suppose, controversial sort of figures because mm. of certain views they hold. And because of that, I feel like in some ways they almost become social outcasts and and people 
I suppose, shun them without even having had personal interactions with mm. these people and just from hearing either word of mouth or mm. from, you know, interactions heard by other people or online yep. or, or that sort of thing. And when that tends to happen, you, you get this it, – it, it makes people more polarised mm. because yeah. um, there's just this, this slow creeping, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sense of isolation. And what I've consciously tried to do – um, I'm not sure whether it's the result of these episodes or maybe just me getting older <laughs> and like, yeah. Yeah. but I've I've tried to make an effort to go out of my way to talk to people, like just have that mm. small like hi, bye moment, how you doing, how's your day going, just those small moments where you're interacting with people mm. because I, I really doubt. Yeah, what's their response going to be? You know, what's, yeah. what's the worst that could happen if yeah, you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, is someone's, are someone's views so offensive or so contrary to your own that you can't even just give them a smile as you pass them mm. down the corridor? And if that, that is the case, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, sort of trying to, to downplay the experiences of people who, you know, have, but is it the case that everyone who we disagree with... Mm. We have to treat that way. Yeah, um, it's almost as if it's it's never worth putting yeah putting in the effort just because of one bad experience that you might have or a bad experience that someone else has. Um, because I imagine that it would be disarming to to the person. Now, I can't actually think of a, like a particular moment with me, but I think there have been a lot of moments, small things that when I might go out of my way to to hear someone out about something. And then they, once they start, they kind of, it's more starts coming out because they feel comfortable and they might not think that you would have been the one yeah. to. I, I say that I can't think of an exact example sometimes because I feel like mm. I'm a fence sitter. It's not the best word sometimes because it implies that I'm weak in my beliefs. Yes, or no, I, I do I, have, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always willing to hear out various perspectives mm-hmm. and then make a decision according yeah. to the best I can with, with the evidence. Mm. Yeah, so it's not as if I hold very strong opinions about, let's say, abortion, mm. and then someone knows me. That's that's what I'm known for. And then when I'm talking to someone else that has the opposite point of view on abortion, they are you know, charmed by how well I'm able to listen to them. I haven't mm. had that you know that kind of experience because I'm not really strong on something. Um, but I do notice that. I mean, I have friends who are atheists, friends who are uh, committed Catholics, and it was great talking with Elif as well, you know, mm. to see the similarities with the Muslim perspective. Yeah, I, I love the opportunity for someone to to be comfortable with someone they might not have thought they yeah. could have been comfortable with. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. Mm. I think this is, this is um, quite an old story from many, many moons ago, but I did a program when I was in high school called oh. Youth Parliament. Okay. I was going to say, was it Building Bridges? No. No, no. no it was um, Youth Parliament and – I suppose one of the things that I was most proud of, I did it for two years, and the thing that I was probably mm. most proud of and was one of the most memorable things was that there was uh, one particular guy who was also participating as well, who was from another school, um, and he was quite reserved and shy. And he was – I interacted – I had a couple of conversations with him and he was quite, you know, reserved, didn't speak very much. And it was quite – Youth Palmer's quite a social sort of – like they – essentially force socialization <laughs> upon you like they yeah. do all these games like pretty much all these icebreakers they're forcing yeah. so- yeah, socialization left right and center 
um, which is great for someone like me who's quite like extroverted, happy to talk to people. Mm. And with this particular guy who was just very, um, you know, not not having, mm. having not a having a, yeah, <laughs> not but um, introverted. yeah. But then I had a couple of conversations with him one on one, and he was so funny, mm-hmm. so funny to listen to. And then by the end of that program, we had like a party on the last night, it was like a dress up sort of like alien space disco sort mm. of thing. And he just came out of his shell over that <laughs> course of that week so much that on that last night he was like on the dance floor, yeah, like yeah, dancing, yeah, yeah. breaking it down. Like he'd worn this like really funny costume and like everyone loved him. Mm. And it was just like I don't attribute that attribute that to like me solely, but like <laughs> yeah. just seeing the growth like or him just coming out of his shell over the course of that, you know, very short period of time. Mm. That warmed my heart. Like, that's so cheesy to say, but, like, yeah. that was something that, like, has stuck with me, obviously, to today. Mm. And it's something that I lo- I really like seeing in people for them to, you know, get to that point of comfort and confidence that, you know, they don't even necessarily have to express their, like, deep, <laughs> deepest, like, thoughts and, you know, views yeah, on certain yeah. issues just to... You know, just to have a dance. Yeah, yeah. It reminds um, me a little bit of myself. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that, that's the sort of thing that I really like to see and to encourage in people. Mm. And, and you never know what kind of, you know, we say, you know, very humble, that we don't know what, what kind of impact Maria had on that, you know. like, oh. um, <laughs> But there is some impact and you never know what sticks in someone's head sometimes mm. something that you say or do might not be you might not think that it's the mm. most impactful but someone just uh, sticks with them mm. and then after years they might come back to you and say oh, you've heard the story with often with teachers that students come back to certain teachers and say mm. oh, i remember this mm. thing and you go you might remember it or you might go oh, i don't remember it but yeah. it's really lovely to think that, that there's, there's this big ripple effect yeah, yeah. um and yeah, I think yeah, with um, education, I remember one of David's tips was building rapport mm. with students, that no learning happens without rapport. Mm. And yeah, that's so true. And then you hear it, you hear it a lot, mm. but especially after having just done a school placement, yeah, I do notice that. It's, it's hard to see the learning be visible mm. in someone. And, and you could say this about conversations yeah. as well, that because things are kind of fleeting, you know, like in, in school you're trying to get through the curriculum or mm. if you have some conversation with someone like this guy um, in the context of that day you also have to go off and do these other things you don't get a chance to reflect you don't get a chance to see see the development but over time over time you can mm. and yeah I love that I love yeah. that try and do that all the time I think what mm. was also a great point that David brought up during his chat with us and it was something that uh, my partner also raised with me when he listened to the episode was the mm. whole concept of message sent message received Mm, 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 mm. and that was something he really appreciated as well because he's done a couple of um he's done a clinical subject where he's gone out to uh a high school in the western suburbs and taught their legal studies class like you know just basic legal concepts Mm. um and i remember him doing study plans and he really enjoyed that sort of teaching so getting that sort of insight from david was really uh helpful to him and i suppose (laughs) just on a broader level that whole concept of message sent message received it's really about putting yourself in the other person's shoes mm. and just thinking about not what am I saying, but how is the person perceiving what I'm saying? Yeah. 
and how are they able to perceive it to the best? Like, how can I convey this so it's perceived to the best yeah. of like... how can I be, consi- yeah. can be consistent? Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Even in my notes for uni, so I'm teaching at the moment, I, um, someone said something at uni, I don't know mm. if it was a professor or a student, I forget, but... And I just wrote the note in the form of message sent, message received, mm. unquote, David Coates. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that was just the best way of describing. I didn't need to yeah. describe the idea again. The, the quote yeah. just sum- summarized it for me perfectly. Yeah. That's so great. Mm. So, oh, do you want to, shall we get into one of these questions? Sure. Let's, yeah. let's dive in. Let's dive, deep, deep dive into actually. One of the episodes that was probably one of the deepest dives. I don't know. They're all quite, <laughs> <laughs> all quite interesting, um, elaborate, and got into so mm. many different areas. Uh, but I am, of course, referring to James's episode. Mm, um, so good. Yes. So yeah, had a lot to unpack there, and um, also Ricky has sent in a question mm. asking about particularly the last part of the episode. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, or you want to go back and refer to it, it's the last five minutes mm. or so, talking about the religion and science debate and, you know, are those terms being used too loosely? You know, um, is it even, is there, is there, is it worthwhile? But Ricky asks, uh, as we progress scientifically as a society, will religion become less important as we turn towards rationality, which is often yeah, assigned to, to science and the scientific method? Or does religion become more important if science makes our outlook on the world less experiential and fulfilling? Yes, because James raised those points that sometimes people perceive science to be the more the cold, heartless mm. um, way of looking at the world, and that religion is the. It's really a false mystical. dichotomy. Like when you really think about it, mm. um, again, I, I'm not as learned as <laughs> yeah, Mr. Fodor was, but <laughs> <laughs> I think this whole question of religion versus science, it's something that especially in our sort of day and age with a lot of the technology that's in development or even just in the mainstream, Mm. um, it does bring into question what is the place of religion in a broader sort of sense. But I think, again, I suppose to branch off from like the institutionalized sort of religion, Mm. really religion comes down to addressing a sort of question of who am I Mm. and why am I here? Yep. And what is going to happen to me in the future, whether mm. I be alive or dead <laughs> <laughs> at that particular point. And I, I think we haven't gone uh, to the stage of science where we can answer those questions. Yes. Yeah, it's not – I think – can I cut in now? Yeah, no, 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 go. go, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut in all the slides, slide in there. Yeah. Um, this, the phrase that I have in my head sometimes is the jury is not out on some of these <laughs> questions. You know, it's not like, oh, well – Oh, you know, one day science is just going to figure out all these things, mm. you know, those, those core questions that you just raised, mm. um, and it will have explained everything. And yeah, then there will be no place for religion. Yeah. I think that's a bit silly because there are so many examples of you know, ap- application of science mm. in, in religious thinking. I mean, so many of the great scientists of the scientific revolution, the Enlightenment, I mean, some of those periods are mm. not actually revolutionary. If you look back, they're built on a lot of foundational work that was done in the middle ages yeah by theologians and philosophers natural philosophers which is what the name of science yeah. was back then and that then informed more i suppose 
structured application mm. of science, the scientific method, like Francis Bacon and other Enlightenment thinkers. But even a lot of those were still religious. If you think Isaac Newton mm. uh, was, and you know, we might say now, oh, looking back, we have much higher rates of atheism now. That sounds like it sounds like it's like a disease or something. But, um, <laughs> larger percentages of people saying that yeah. they are not religious. So people could look back now on those people and say, oh, well, they were great scientists, oh, but religion was still holding them back a little mm. bit. Even though they, they believe they were exploring God's world uh, with science and the scientific method. But, but now we know better. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm. astrophysicist, might have said something a little bit like that once. Mm. I'm not going to misquote him. <laughs> um, I think those deep questions of meaning that religion tries to address, whether it be institutionalized or not, mm. um, I don't think that they're going to go away as we progress scientifically. And at least with the major religions as well. I mean, I can't really comment accurately as someone who is raised in a non-religious family, but like from my understanding of, you know, a lot of the major religions is that what you're teaching is for adherents of the religion to be good people. Mm. And I don't think that's something that, you know, necessarily is something that will become out of date <laughs> at any time soon. No, because we're still human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And science, if we say yeah, that helps us to understand the world, mm. that that's a wondrous type of thing. That's a wondrous experience to have to deepen our knowledge. And humans love doing that mm. just as much as they love trying to figure out what the right and good action to do is, even though we can't agree on that mm. sometimes. I mean, I think there is common ground. But as as just life progresses, you know, society, religion, science, I think that we'll continue to see overlap integration mm. between love of understanding, love of knowledge and mm. of exploring the world and of understanding what it means to yeah. have impact in life. You see this now in business as well, you know, ethical business, sustainable business, applying knowledge of interconnection between species, um, the planet, with human society that scientific insights have yielded and now that's helping us to inform how we can make mm. good, rational, mm. ethical choices about how we conduct our lives. But, yeah, it is interesting because, like James said, it's uh, often that's the way it's, it's framed. I love, <laughs> I love another version of that too is science versus morality. Yeah. <laughs> of so, like, all scientists are, are they, immoral. <laughs> just immoral. They don't, they don't care. They don't care about anything. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. It, it is. It's definitely <laughs> Let's let's take another question from. Yeah. Well, it's not really a question. No, no, a question and statement. <laughs> you can read this one out if you want. Yeah. So this comes from one of our listeners and friends, Louisa. Uh, so she says it's been a real pleasure listening to the Hearth. Congrats on doing such a wonderful job. Something that's really come through for me this season has been the idea that we change the way we communicate in different situations. I'm wondering whether you find yourselves noticing that in everyday life. Or does this happen unconsciously sometimes? I think for me, it's definitely both conscious and unconscious. Uh, I think it's definitely dependent on context as well. I think, at least for me, to give you a sort of snapshot of how the different ways I communicate in a single day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it could be a lot, couldn't it? (laughs) It could be. Yeah, you're notorious for having like a deep schedule, (laughs) a varied schedule. I mean, so in my in my mind, you oh, notorious there. sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. and then sometimes I don't adhere to it at all. <laughs> but for example, I'd start off my day at work where mm-hmm. I do very much tailor my communications because 
because of the requirements of both my role and the personalities with whom I work with. Mm. And there are very strong characters who I work with who I have to tailor my communication to because of that. And, for example, I'd go from that to an afternoon. I'd hop on the tram and I'd have my afternoon at uni Mm. where, for the most part, I won't be talking, I won't be communicating because I'm listening to a lecture. But if I'm talking to my friends in the break, it's... My communication changes again from Mm. being quite sort of formal or a very strong tone or a very placid sort of tone to becoming almost like a drawl. Matey. Very matey, yeah. Almost, yeah, very broad uh, Australian accent, uh, quite, yeah, just very, very relaxed. Yeah, that's that's exactly the word. (laughs) And then to shift it going home, uh, I wouldn't say it's all that much different, but sometimes, for example... I might have to speak a bit slower at home if I'm mm. talking to my sisters or uh, even with my dad, for example, who's getting a bit older and his hearing's not as great <laughs> as it used to be yeah. and we're talking about something uh, over dinner, I might just need to have to slow down there and yeah. just very clearly enunciate what I'm saying. Yeah. And then, yeah, so over the course of like one day, I'd have a whole bunch of different verbal styles of communication but also throughout the day in terms of written communication, I'd be mm. sending oh, emails yeah. at yep, work. Yep. Uh, which are quite formal in style, or uni emails to lecturers who, who knows, sometimes they're very formal, sometimes yeah, they just yeah, send you back yeah. really, really brief, short shrift answers, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, chats on Facebook and other social media. So throughout the day, a whole yeah. different range of styles. Yeah, and well. I, Yeah, I'm sure it's the same with you. I mean, mm-hmm. what's a day like with you from uni teaching? Typical day. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to make this ideal hypothetical day where I can cram in as many different things now. Um, but the, every once in a while there is a day that does have so many different facets. Mm. Um, if I'm at my job, for example, work at a warehouse, very relaxed, been there for a number of years. And it depends who's there. I mean, mm. because I interact differently depending on who's yeah. there. So some of my best friends work there. So it must be interesting for some people that yeah. listen to me because I could be talking to people that – you know, I've met through work mm. or people that you know I've had long-standing friendship with who I also happen to work with. We could be talking about any number. I could be talking about like church history with one person. Now I'm talking about um, uh, like design courses yeah. with someone else. And now I'm talking about Collingwood. <laughs> uh, like Collingwood's in the grand final uh, with someone else. And now I'm talking about... Um, By the time this is up, they might have won the grand final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who am I going for? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, because one of my cousins goes for West Coast, and these kids can be furious, <laughs> furious if they lose. So actually, that's an interesting point. So, I mean, even family too. Mm. So, uh, and then let's say, yeah, I'm at home with family, then it depends on who the family is. But, um, yeah, it could be, yeah, very relaxed. And I might I have this tendency to, to speak kind of academically sometimes. And my dad mm. always says, you're such an academic and I was like, no, I'm not, because I'm, I'm not paid, I'm not, I'm not a professor, so yeah. I'm not paid to be an academic. Yeah. Um, and by no means do I want to sound kind of detached and aloof and really intelligent. Um, that's completely opposite mm. of my intention. I just like to get to know people. I just like to talk. Yeah. Uh, I also love to listen. But if you get me going, sometimes I'll just keep going. <laughs> and Not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just cut, slice me off. Slice me off. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think I do moderate. What I say. Mm. That's, that's not to say that it's not authentic. What I'm mm. saying it just depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be talking to, you know, some senior member of your family, like your grandmother, about, you know, <laughs> I don't know, something. Survivor. <laughs> oh, you know, that's probably. I was thinking that was 
the tamer end of what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, you just have to, you have to know your context. Mm. It's fascinating because when you end up in a different situation, um, like you could spend a whole day at work and be like, oh, yeah, a lot of stimulation or like I've done a yeah. lot of X, X yeah. thing. And then, but then when you're in some other situation, now you're like a different, you know, yeah. a different mask on, a different exactly. hat on. And you've got this new exactly. vitality and you get to the end of the day. You're like, wow. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because at uh, my job, I work with a friend of mine who I also go to uh, uni with. Hmm. And one time her and I, we were in a meeting with our boss, who's like the big boss of the whole company. And he was, he was asking me like quick fire a lot of questions and I was answering them. And then we got back, when we finished the meeting, her and I, we went back to our respective um, desks and she mm. turns to me and she says, you speak really well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I just, looked <laughs> at her. I, just had, I had this very perplexed look on my face towards her yeah. and I just said, I, I just speak how I normally mm. speak. And she's like, no, it's different from uh, how you speak. Yeah, Usually it's very, it's very, um, very confident and self-assured and I just thought am mm. I just not confident and self-assured yeah. normally or do I like do I like amplify it for the workplace so I'm very <laughs> assertive like I'm yeah. not sure you know what I've done there but obviously mm. she's noticed so yeah, it's really interesting that sort of cross contextual mm. message um, sent message received exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, yeah yeah um oh, what was, oh, I was going to relate to that somehow um that sometimes you you might describe yourself, or maybe you know, mm. I do, as goofy, and you might not think that you're so articulate or eloquent or something. And yeah, it does depend on the um, mm. depend on the situation. I might think that about myself sometimes. Yeah. I think I'm all over the place, and someone else is like, "Oh no, that was yeah. really well put together." This is reminding me of a chat that we had <laughs> very late last year before we started this mm. podcast, sort of like an antecedent to this particular yep. Yep. podcast. And I remember. For people who are listening, we sat in a car for around like an hour. <laughs> like I dropped Daniel home and we were just sitting oh, yeah, in the yeah, car time, for like yeah. an hour just chatting about like the way that we perceive ourselves as opposed yes, to yeah. how other people perceive us and how we reconcile the two. Mm. And I remember both of us sort of saying to each other that we think that ourselves come across as very sort of, you know, goofy or people <laughs> don't take us seriously. And then both of us reassuring each other. That we think the other was very articulate and like very knowledgeable, yes, perfect, perfect. and it was just really funny at the particular time because now it's coming back full yes, circle. Yes. <laughs> it's a good balance, though. Yeah, it's good to know. It's good yeah. to know. Yeah, you keep keep it in check. Mm. Um, yeah. So thanks, Louisa, for letting us raise some of those points. Um, I'd like to get into our episode with Nathan, which yes, just aired recently. Just... Um, yeah, yeah. That was another deep dive. That was a great, great. <laughs> episode and um for the listeners uh tuning in we weren't able to squish in everything Mm. that we were able to cover with nathan into the episode but maybe at some point in the future uh we'd be able to you know share a couple of the insights or his new music Mm. um in like a extra sort of segment some point in the future but we just went into a whole bunch of areas that we weren't expecting to go into Mm. i love when you said that music actualizes meaning like what a, what a nice little punchy yeah, quote there it was what are you talking about yeah. um yeah and i mean again he raised this point too that you don't want to sound new agey because to me the connotation is, is not well researched not yeah. not deep authentic uh that's, that's the connotation yeah um so it is, but music can lend itself 
if we talk about vibrations and things like that, that's just a very new agey concept. But, I mean, this might not have been exactly what he's talking about, but that sense that music can have to resonate with you. Mm. And it might be because it's not like language. Mm. In some sense, it is like language, but some things can be understood or give you a feeling. And, you know, let's say it's a song in another language, you might really relate to it Mm. and it might create some, hit some memories for you, uh, particularly with him, actually, with his... Um, Grandparents. Yeah, and how I imagine that, that his heritage has yeah, informed mm. his love of the Italian folk songs that he's, he's created. And when I listen to them, they... I mean, I do understand the words because mm. I do speak Italian, but even then there is this sense of it, it, it reminds me of something about something I heard or saw yeah. or felt sometimes in my own yeah. past, my own heritage and... It's nice that that can kind of transcend language. Absolutely. In some sense. Yeah. It was really great to hear how profound he finds music. Mm. And in a way, it made me appreciate how profound it is in all of our lives because usually I don't consider myself to be quite sort of a musical person. I'm not nearly as gifted as he is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I'm not really one of those people who – I know I have quite a few friends who are just like, you know, music is my life. Like they love going to, you know, gigs and festivals and that sort of thing. And I've, you know, been quite boring myself. (laughs) I've never been that sort of person. So I always thought, oh, no, it's not really my sort of thing. But having that chat with Nathan really sort of resonated with me. And having just heard Nathan sing Mm. generally and have like the points that he raised about hearing music in person and – the profound and resonant quality that it has when you hear it in person really made me appreciate, yeah, the value of it in our lives and how Mm. it does have that sort of, that function of actualizing meaning or significance for certain events or concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's especially what you said there about how it's not, not necessarily you know, the domain of, of one person. I was like, I'm not a musical person. You know, mm. this day. Nathan's, uh, that's like his thing, you know, but it's like, no, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Yeah. It, it means something different for everyone or everyone can relate to it in some way. And I'd love to be able to play an instrument or something too, but I mean, he inspires me to get to improve that tiny bit more at yeah, what I can absolutely. do, which maybe is sing. I don't have <laughs> access to an instrument. Um, but I mean, even too, we were talking about, language and I come from more of a writing background and there are lyrical qualities to language you know you mm. hear something very well expressed it's beautiful in a similar way to music and yeah. some people could go like in if anyone's ever read the name of the wind about this traveling musician and he's very scornful of poetry it's like our oh, poetry is just like it's like music but without the music mm. or whatever um, like, no, no, but they, they, they each have their place. Okay, yeah. they're cousins. They're well, cousins. It's, it's it's what um, Nathan mentioned. You know, poetry is written in meter, and that's a rhythmic quality. And mm. you know, I think it definitely ties. They have their links, and you know, it comes back to the question that we were asking Nathan about how how deeply or how far back does it link between music and language, and mm. you know, using these as vehicles through which we can understand and perceive the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think, are we, are we almost done? I think, we, I think we've... I could probably keep going. <laughs> we could probably keep going. But yes. if any, like, if if people were here, if you guys listening were live here with us, you could probably observe how dark the sky mm-hmm. has gotten since yes. we've started. Yeah. I think it's been a great <laughs> chat. I hope you guys listening at home have 
felt the same way. We hope you have enjoyed the season and we'd love to hear feedback from even this chat and mm, what yeah, you guys sure. would like to say. And if you guys had any suggestions or thoughts about possibly a theme for next season, yes. um, guests for next season, uh, or even yourselves, uh, definitely drop us a line and we'd love to be in touch. Uh, thank you so much for listening and for all of your support over the last seven episodes. Daniel and I have really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And we hope that you guys have gotten something out of it because, as you probably have heard, <laughs> we, <laughs> we definitely have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very well said. Uh, and I think from, from some of the feedback that I have heard that yeah, there are some conversations being sparked and who knows what, you know, what the effect of, of mm. some of that is. But I'm just glad to, yeah, to be able to, with Maria, with, with our guests, to be able to set some of that in motion. And, yeah, so I'm grateful to our guests my co-host yeah <laughs> my goofy co-host uh, for all the great conversations so yeah we'll see you another time the hearth podcast is daniel mostovac and maria Cananzi, and our music is provided by the wonderful claire fogarty our photography is done by the great Kristen calandra and you can find us at thehearthpodcast.com you can also reach us on our social media and email